You can take the monster out of the lagoon, but you can't take the lagoon out of the monster in Revenge of the Creature. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. Oh man, Captain Lucas! Another highlight, man. Universal knows where the this series is bread is buttered. If he's not in the third one, I won't be disappointed. I will be disappointed. Uh, with that said, I Eric will start this podcast. <laughs> Welcome back to the Monsters vs. Men podcast, the bargain basement of the Monster Podcasting Airwaves. This week, as we try to stay alive, we are discussing Revenge of the Creature. With me today is the underwater. Uh, breather himself alex joining me by that corpse wrapped around a tree eric Ooh, i'll take that i'll take that <laughs> yeah i mean lucas here has got to be just a highlight despite the fact that like lucas might have been stock footage at certain points <laughs> yeah but not mostly but not mostly I think this opening shot of Lucas was was footage from the last movie. Yeah, I think it was too. <laughs> but but he still has several lines of dialogue and interacts with oh, all yeah. the new characters. Oh yeah, he has some new moments. He has some new moments. Gotta gotta love Lucas. Um, all right. Well, let's jump in. <laughs> You're just ready. You ready to dive on into the Black Lagoon? I am ready to dive into the lagoon. In search for the creature, Alex. Okay. No, but uh, honestly, I, I I know your inclinations for this film because you kind of you yeah, visited we, the other day. Yeah, because we, we actually saw each other in real life, and we accidentally we talked about that movie, the movie a little bit off of yeah, the podcast. I know, which, is which we try not to do. Yeah, <laughs> we try not to. Uh, but we ended up talking about the movie without hitting record, which we should have just hit record and talked about the movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we probably should have. <laughs> but it's all right we we're hit record now and now we can talk about the movie some more and i think we have some slightly different opinions about this one so uh but yeah i i'm excited to get into it uh i'm somewhere in the middle i think so let's let's jump in and uh we'll get our thoughts here we go jack arnold returns with revenge of the creature when we encounter first sequels, um, we usually like to explore how that film takes its predecessor and builds upon it. But let's take a slightly different angle here first, and we'll come around to that. Which movie do you think was scarier for audiences, Alex? The original or this film, Revenge of the Creature? For audiences, that's mm-hmm. kind of tough. Because I'm someone that didn't really find either one scary at all. Um, so that's kind of a tough call for me and audiences back then had just such different sensibilities. Um, you know, there are a couple moments that stand out in Black Lagoon. Uh, you know, like the moment where the gill man is holding the man up with one arm in the cave mm-hmm. being particularly like cool, I guess, and probably scary. And then also when he jumps out of the little uh, holding area on the boat. Like when he erupts from it, 
mm-hmm. was probably scary back then, but now it's kind of silly. So, mm. it, but that being said, for me, I thought there was much more tension in this with him fighting uh, and drowning some of the workers at this place. Um, I, I found those moments to be even scarier uh, for me. I mean, heck, he even throws that guy, like I mentioned earlier, he throws him into a tree, and it's kind of hilarious by today's standard, but, but there's also that impact, and it, you do feel that, like, oh, it's pretty gruesome, because you see the body bend around the tree. <laughs> um, so that I, I think there's a potential for this one to maybe be almost as scary, because I don't know how much the over long drawn out sequences of the creature of Gilman following our heroes around for 20 minutes. I don't know how scary that was for audiences back then. It it definitely wasn't scary for me. And I'm really glad that we don't have that hardly at all here. And when we do, it's very short, like it should have been in the last movie. But I, you know, there was that particular moment in this film where they're, they're trying to wake him up by, by navigating him in the water. Like, you know, kind of like they would like with a, with a, with a shark, just moving it in the water to get oxygen. I thought that that moment, even though it's kind of silly, was actually kind of like intense. Cause I'm just waiting for that thing to wake up and just snap that guy's neck. Yeah. Yeah. Because we know how strong it is, even though they don't. So mm-hmm. there, there's moments like that throughout where I know what this thing's capable of, but they don't yet. And mm-hmm. there's, there's something interesting about that that I like. Yeah, no, that's interesting. Yeah. When it comes to just straight scares, I think this actually makes for an interesting comparison to me. I thought the first film had great atmosphere and build up, uh, as well as serious, serious consequences for some of its characters that we actually knew. Right. Uh, i.e. death. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I like the other sequels that we've watched recently, like The Lost World, Jurassic Park, um, The Mummy's Tomb. And like those sequels, Revenge asked the questions of what happens when we take the monster away from its home and into ours? Uh, there's something frightening and more immediate about a monster on our own shores. So it's just a different type of scare, right? One is this kind of foreign enemy. Another is what happens when that foreign enemy comes to our own shores. Um, On the other hand, like that for me, there's a lot to this movie. And and I think the, the best sequence is when the creature is loose for about 15 minutes he breaks free. That is the absolute best sequence of this film. Mm. But I think a lot of it is just a retread of the ideas that we saw in the first movie. We even go back to uh, the, the Amazon in the final scenes and we get like a very similar swimming scene, um, you know, where the creature is just lurking underneath the water, tickling her feet, right? Uh, There's just a lot of ideas that are are brought back like cinematic ideas that are brought back Mm -hmm. to this one um so in that way it felt like a a, a retread but um overall like that those 15 minutes and some of the themes that i think were explored a bit further in this film made me enjoy it enough to appreciate what it was trying to do now if i'm not mistaken we never went back to the amazon we're only there at the beginning 
right? Uh, when they I go for a swim, that's still in Florida, right? I'm pretty sure because she's still at her hotel. I'm pretty sure because the, weird, the Amazon. It was a weird that, sort of like, you're right. It wasn't the Amazon. It was like a vacation place yeah, <laughs> or something, right? It was Florida. very weird. It's it was just a, a weird giant transition. vacation place. <laughs> 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 was it for i can't i can't remember yeah i think it, it was because i thought the same thing because of the place she's staying at it's like kind of a the, yeah. uh, the exterior of it is like a very bamboo like hut look not hut that's kind of not the right word for it but it was very it looked like maybe that was the area but it's still like very populated very everything so we're never we're, we don't really return back to the amazon except for the beginning but as for me, it doesn't really matter because most of our moments really are in uh, the aquarium, I guess. And I actually mm-hmm. really love this change of scenery. That's one thing we talked about off of here was how sequels to horror movies oftentimes will take the monster out of a different space. You even mentioned it in your little interlude a little bit. And I think I really like the when movies do that. Now, you, a lot of times they fail. <laughs> but... I actually think that this one was kind of interesting. Uh, you know, we, we bring him here to this aquarium to be this like weird sideshow attraction. He's just being manipulated. They're trying to study this thing, and since he's one of his kind, well, let's just pro, oh, let's just probe at and shock him. Um, and just kind of get a reaction out of him, see if we can train him, see what kind of intelligence he has. And what I really liked about this is that. This is maybe the second time in a Universal movie where I have felt bad for the creature. Um, Mm. uh, Maybe third or fourth. I would say Daughter of Dracula, you feel sorry for for a few moments. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you feel bad for Frankenstein's monster. And I would say maybe that's it. Oh, no, Wolfman. Every Mm -hmm. time. Or uh, Sorry, what's his name? Lon Chaney's Wolfman. We won't even talk about the other one. Um, And so, but what I really like is that this is a monster monster, right? This is something unlike the rest of them. It's inhuman in in almost every way. But when I see him being shocked over and over, chained up, I I feel bad for him. I want him to break free. Now, eventually when I do get my wish... I very quickly learned that the Gilman truly belongs in the Black Lagoon. Mm. He just, you know, he goes on this murderous rampage and it almost kind of feels like for fun in a way mm-hmm. because he keeps returning. He keeps attacking. Uh, he's not eating any of these people. So it's not for sustenance. Um, it's, it's just more of a rage, I guess. But the fact that he returns kind of alludes to maybe something else. Um, and I really like that. And then he starts kidnapping. And, you know, I, I think it's kind of funny that he realizes she can't be in the water. So he has to keep putting her on the beach, going mm-hmm. into the water, and then walking around with her. Um, I actually kind of like that element to it. And, and again, it illustrates his intelligence and also how willing he is to just... He's totally okay with just killing everybody. And I, I like this because... The film really sells me on the di- on the idea that there are just some things that man needs to leave alone. The Gill Man, in particular, being this, you know, I never really felt this way about any of the previous films except for Frankenstein's Monster. You know, that's just something you do not tap into, right? That's 
that's forbidden science. And this is like kind of forbidden nature things that mm. we just shouldn't be delving into or message, messing with. And I like that. Now I don't, it does it nail its message. I, I actually kind of think maybe it does because it doesn't give us clear answers, but it just does let us know. Yeah. Maybe we shouldn't mess with this thing, but Gilman isn't portrayed to be, you know, outright good or bad. Hmm. Yeah. See, I think I'm with you on that message. I think we got more of that in the first film than we did in this film, um, which is interesting. But yeah, I think this one is definitely more on the nose with its messaging. And I, I like what it's trying to do, you know, even starting with the prologue of the film, right? We're not introduced to our main characters, um, Cleet and Helen. Mm. We're not introduced to Cleet and Helen until about 15 minutes into this thing. Uh, because the first 15 minutes are that return journey to the Amazon uh, where they capture the creature. Now, within that 15 minutes, you've got uh, some interesting dialogue happening there where you've got uh, two characters. You've got one character who is, we've got a couple characters. You've got Lucas, of course, who Lucas is a, is kind of an old word, world thinker, right? He's able to buy into kind of the more supernatural explanation and, and he just sees more uh, to the story than the simple, like this is a creature that we have to capture. There's a biological explanation to this thing. And then as he tells the story and, and weaves this myth, then the two researchers, um, one of them is Joe. Joe is, you know, of course, very straight. Like I, I just have to capture this thing. I don't believe he were word that he says, nothing he says affects <laughs> me. We have to capture it. And then we've got uh, the other, I can't remember the other guy's name, um, but he, it might be Lou. Lou uh, is more kind of sold on this idea, like maybe we should leave this thing alone uh, because we don't know what's going to happen. Uh, like we can't fully explain it. And so there's this interesting element of, of mystery about what can be explained and what can't be explained. And that conversation carries over into the rest of the film's story, especially when it comes to the romance in this film. The romance in this film, I will say, I, I really wasn't bought into it very much uh, at the beginning. But then as it progressed, I, I started to enjoy it more and more until we finally get to like the love or the, the dialogue scene on the, the boat, like uh, the ferry boat, right? Mm. Uh, where... There's this interesting piece of dialogue that goes back to this theme of, of what can be explained, you know, in scientific terms of what can't. And ultimately, they, they're talking and it gets this point where they, they talk about the idea of love and if love can be explained or not. And eventually they, they settle on, you know, it can't, right? So yeah. what do we do with that? And I think that's there's that interweaving of 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 kind of the mystery and the science that is is really interesting here, um, and so I appreciated that exploration. There aren't easy answers, like you said, but I appreciated that explanation that we got in this one. Yeah, yeah, I, I did too, and that that's a moment that I did like um, as well. And you know, this film for me is kind of doing a lot of things, but it's maybe most importantly for me as our listeners may have picked up on 
is I haven't mentioned the Achilles heel I typically have with a lot of these films that we've been watching. And that, and I also had with Black Lagoon. Pacing. I don't have a pacing issue this time. I think the pacing here is actually just right. You know, maybe the finale maybe goes on for a little too long. I think it could have been structured a little bit better to be even, or to be more exciting. Um, but I actually think the film is really spread out in a nice way. Uh, I think it really comes down to me for a lot of the things I like might be reasons why you liked um, Black Lagoon, which is mm. interesting. I like the inclusion of these crowded spaces that all these people are around. It yeah. kind of, for me, adds all of this extra danger. Now, I could see for... And you tell me if I'm right or wrong, but maybe mm. in Black Lagoon, you maybe liked that it was isolated, right? That mm-hmm. they don't have these people to rely on. That's kind of the excitement with the, you know, one thing I kind of forgot about when you asked about what was more scary. When that tree, when they come up, when that tree is down, mm-hmm. that's a great moment in Black Lagoon. And that's one of the <laughs> benefits of that isolation. Yeah. And But what I like here is that we just have so many people at risk everyone's around this thing is not unstoppable but he's pretty hard to stop especially with uh how hard it is to communicate back in the 50s um and so i really liked how all of that played out we get all these crew guys getting killed we get normal civilians getting killed and i just like the unstoppable nature that this thing has with all these people around because I'm always wondering, especially in the aquarium scenes, like I mentioned earlier, mm. when is it going to go wrong? And mm. honestly, it, it takes a while for it to go wrong. So there's several times in it where I am, I, there's just that suspense for me just waiting for something to happen. And when it finally does, I, I, I like it. Yeah, I agree with you. When it finally does, I like it too. The best, as I said, the best 15 minutes are those 15 minutes where it escapes and basically terrorizes people. <laughs> um, now, I, what's, I, I don't remember as many like deaths as as you do um, here. Like, I, I actually remember the creature not killing people. Like, there's a great moment when there's this kid on the ground <laughs> and the creature walks up to it, and the mom runs up and covers the the girl who's crying, right? Mm-hmm. And then the creature just continues walking. Yes. Um, which is interesting. There's 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 little moments like that during that terror scene. You, you know, I love a good panic, right? We love good panics, starting with you know our Godzilla series. <laughs> um, we always like to see crowds of people panicking. It's yes, just fun, do. right? And it's fun here because we haven't gotten that in a while, and so it's fun to see people panicking for whatever reason. Call us. Uh, masochist i don't know (laughs) uh but we like to watch uh people panicking and there's also whenever he escapes just this campy element right um where there's a couple of moments of misdirection (laughs) which is funny because we haven't had too many of those like it's a very common trope in modern day horror films but we haven't seen that as much in these universal horror films um where there's just this slight misdirection. You think something's about to happen, and then another character appears instead of the creature. You get the buildup of, like, I thought we were going to get a psycho moment here, and this was pre-psycho, whenever Helen turns on the shower, yes. right? Uh, 
I, they could have done more with that, right? It's like I will, <laughs> but this was pre psycho, which is interesting to me. But I was like, man, they could have they could have done something more there. But I, I I did love those fifteen minutes. It was before the fifteen minutes. I actually thought the aquarium scenes were pretty boring. Um, yeah, I, I wasn't I wasn't super sold on those. Um, those were the ones that were boring to me. But I like your point that you made, kind of just about the atmospheres here. Um, the isolation versus kind of like the uh, crowds in in this one. I, I thought the the first one had me more sold on some of the characters and more interested in the characters, whereas this one it was, had me more interested in some of the ideas. So I'm not sure which one you'll take, um, but either way, uh, you're not going to go too wrong. <laughs> yeah, agreed, agreed. Well, cool. On MVM Plus this week, so we had a, uh, a little switch up. Last week, we said we were going to have our conversation with Faye, but that's actually going to be released this week. We'll have our conversation with Faye and talk all things Creature. We'll talk Little Universal. We'll talk our next series. Uh, it's going to be a good conversation with Faye. Uh, what we did release last week, and so this is available as well over at patreon.com forward slash Pod. Uh, what we did released last week was a conversation that I had with David about a hidden life. Uh, a hidden life uh, is an interesting movie. Have you seen it? Have you seen it, Alex? Never heard of it. I only heard of it when I posted the episode, but I, uh, I um, honestly, I haven't even get, had a chance to listen to it yet. Well, it's a Malick, Terrence Malick movie, right? So, uh, three hours. life. Yeah, it's a long movie. Tree of Life, um, Badlands, uh, Thin Red Line. I don't know if uh, New World. Um, Terrence Malick he makes these kind of like contemplative, quiet um, movies that usually touch on big ideas but have no clear answers. Um, they're they're pretty pretentious, Alex. So you'll really like them. Uh, <laughs> I've seen a few Terrence Malick movies. Yeah, um, but but this one is uh, probably his most straightforward narrative in a way. It's about it's a tr- it's based off a true story about a um, a Christian man who during World War II refuses to uh, serve the German army. Um, hmm. Yeah. And that's that's the basic premise, and so he kind of has a test of faith, uh, but it's it's really interesting. And David and I get into the weeds about several different topics. So that's over there at patreon.com forward slash pod. If you like heady conversations about pretentious films and and theology and faith, you might like that episode uh, that I had with David, uh, of course, who's who's with the the former. Uh, podcast Kaiju Apostle and what was the Saved uh, by the Belly Saved by the <laughs> R.I.P. <laughs> those two podcasts now he just appears on MVM Plus episodes with us Alex <laughs> poor poor man uh, yeah. uh, well let's go ahead and get into our awards starting with our compelling character award Alex who did you have as your compelling character um, I had Lucas no, I'm kidding. But <laughs> I had I had Helen Dodson. Okay. Uh, I actually thought I, I found her to be a compelling female character for us. After last week, 
Kay, who was had charm of her own. Um, I thought that her character was kind of ended up being rather un- uninteresting uh, for me, uh, mostly because of the bad choices and like the kind of baffling things that would happen with her. But in this, I like I like Helen Dodson. I, I think she's got a lot of personality. She's got a few zingers locked and loaded. Mm. Um, and so I really like her. And I feel like we don't know a whole lot about her. Not like she's mysterious necessarily, but I, I feel like, you know, she. it feels like she's a fully realized character with a background that we don't know about. Yeah, it's so. a great choice. Yeah, Helen's, Helen is good. Um, what about you? I, I'm going to go with Chris, uh, the dog. Uh, <laughs> Chris is pretty. Oh, Chris. I, well, pour one you, out you laugh, Chris. Alex, and I'm like, wow, talk about soulless over there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just going to say that Chris gave up his life for our heroes. Yeah. And Chris was just a loyal dog. And so I wanted to pour one out for Chris. Um, as a compelling character, that yeah. was a rather unfortunate and gruesome moment in this film. Yeah, it um, was. I it was, was the most personal. That was the most personal death that we had in this film. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I agree. Um, I, I was impressed with the film's ability to keep referencing back to the dog afterwards. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. There's several times where she like mentions that she's worried about it. And yeah. I, I really appreciate it because a lot of these films have a tendency to forget, you know, yeah. the worry of something dying. Like we've had movies where a guy's dad dies and he doesn't care. Right. So now yeah, we actually yeah, get yeah. someone. And who's, they like, they like don't, they, it's like never happened. It was yeah. just, a, it was a plot point. Yeah. And this could have very easily had that moment where she just forgets about the dog. Right. But she references back that she's worried about the dog and she's still worried about it. And, Several times, which I really appreciate in this. Yeah, yeah, that's good. That's a good point. Good, point. and that's why this is a Godzilla team. <laughs> because uh, we care most, about the dogs. <laughs> most memorable line award, Alex. What do you have? Um, mine is Lucas. He's got to okay. have. He's got to have the line right. I hope you ain't gonna blow up my boat, Mister Johnson. Like my wife, she's not much, but she's all I have. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I I, th- I thought about that one as well. That's that's a good line. <laughs> oh man, uh, I chose a line from Helen um, in reference to the creature. Uh, she says he's like an orphan of time, mm. um, and I, I just thought that was a nice turn of phrase there. An orphan of time, uh, really interesting. And and once again, just go back to that character, Helen. Uh, I think you made a good choice with that compelling character because she was the most compelling human character in yes. this film. I agree. Uh, bar none. Uh, I, I wasn't, I, I said I didn't buy the romance earlier and really it was mostly, I, I didn't buy Cleet and I find Cleet a little strange and Cleet and Joe both kind of going after her was a little weird and <laughs> It's fine. I mean, love triangles happen in movies, but this wasn't really a love triangle. It was just kind of like two guys awkwardly competing against each other. Yeah. Um, and so I was like, okay. Uh, 
Uh, and Cleet never was like, I was just like, man, the fact that you're like competing in this way just turns me off of you as a character. But as I said, the romance got better as the movie progressed, but that's in large part due to Helen. Yeah, I actually think their dialogue's pretty good between them. It does move a little quick, but uh, after the initial kerfuffle about the date, I actually found, I I bought it for the most part, except for the speedy, (laughs) the expediency of it. Um, Eric, what about your Can't Believe That Acting Award? Dude, my Can't Believe That Acting Award uh, goes to the lab technician Jennings, who when he, he jumps onto screen, I'm like, man, this guy does not belong in this movie. He can't act a lick, right? I'm like, what? This this guy like feels completely out of place. He does not seem like a lab technician and is just not very good at acting. And then I I, I hesitate for a second and I'm like, wait, I recognize this guy. It's Clint Eastwood. (laughs) I'm like, what? First of all, I couldn't believe the acting because I was like, this is just, it doesn't feel right. And then I couldn't believe it was Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood is like 100 years old at this point. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Right? He really is. But I love Clint Eastwood. Like, that's the thing. I I love Clint Eastwood. Uh, I think he's a fantastic actor and a pretty good director. Um, and so it was funny that I was automatically criticizing him before I knew who he was. (laughs) It didn't make his acting better in this film, but I was pleasantly surprised to see an incredibly young Clint Eastwood show up here. Yeah. Did you recognize him immediately? No, I did not. Do you know who I'm talking about though? I know who Clint Eastwood is. Yes. You can't picture him in the film. No, I can't. So I'm going to oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to go so back and look him. at it. Yeah, I did. I did. Yeah, you completely missed him. He was, he was just, a, he was only in the, in the film for 30 seconds. And he was just a lab tech whenever they first got to the aquarium. <laughs> oh, that, that's great. Oh, yeah, him. You. Yeah, this I'm guy. I'm going to have to show you his picture. I'm, I'm looking at it right picture. now. Oh, you did? Yeah, yeah, there's a bunch of images of it. Yeah, you're like... Yeah, he doesn't belong. <laughs> Just visually, he doesn't belong. In this visually, movie. he does not belong in this movie. His hair um, and everything. It just doesn't. I'm like, what? The, no. <laughs> that is not a nerdy scientist right there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but but he, yeah, yeah. I just was pleasantly surprised to see that. That's awesome. What about you? Uh, for me, I had um, Ferguson, who I have forgotten. The character that this person played. Let's see. Hang on. But you're talking oh, about. Yeah, no, I had John. Yeah, John Eager is Cleet. And the reason I had him as my can't believe that acting, even though we kind of dunked on him a little bit earlier, I actually did buy his relationship with, um, with Helen after things got moving. Um, <laughs> and so I bought it, and I bought I bought his urgency. And there's a, there's a line mm-hmm. in this actually. I know we already we already uh, did our can't believe that line award where his character um he's talking to everybody and saying like you know like i know we're trying to save somebody but take care of yourself mm-hmm. um that that i thought that performance he sold me on his care about mm. those hard-working individuals yeah. and helen 
It was his compassion that yeah. sold you. He's amazing. <laughs> what about uh, <laughs> what about your? Oh, that's a good shot award. So for me, this is that moment when the monster escapes. It's like right when the monster escapes. It's awesome. As I said, the film becomes automatically like a slightly different film at this moment because it becomes that kind of more of a campy slasher film, right? Yes. Um, but the first shot we get that kind of indicates that transition is a close-up of the screaming woman, right? And there's like a slight tilt of the camera, so it's a slightly awkward angle, and it's an exaggerated over-the-top, straight-on close-up shot of her screaming. It's over-the-top, completely hammy, and completely great. So <laughs> I really like that close-up of the screaming woman when we transition into our camp slasher moments uh, for about 15 minutes in this movie. Yeah, and me, I had, uh, it's not a good shot, it's just a fun one, or I guess a maybe a scary one, is when he finally gets loose and he gets a hold of the two other workers, and he's pinning one of them under the water. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's a very intense moment, full of uh, artistry or something. It didn't really have the artistry, but I thought it was fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> maybe no artistry, but a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, All right, our unique awards, Alex. I'll I'll go ahead and give you my unique award. It's the perfect form award. Though I might have criticized his acting a little bit and and didn't get as much compassion from him as you did. You've got to say that John Agger's dive into the water from the boat was pretty perfect form in his shirt and tie, uh, you must say. So I've got to give it to John Agger as Professor Cleet Ferguson. (laughs) diving into the ocean water it's funny you say that because i thought the same thing <laughs> I, was I was like, like wow. hey that was pretty nice yeah um <laughs> what about you as for me i had the no longer viable but pretty pliable award and <laughs> that goes to my guy that got wrapped around a tree yeah, yeah. flexibility is beyond compare <laughs> nice nice Oh, that's good. That's good. Um, all right. Well, let's get into our final thoughts and tiered rating then. Um, why don't you go first, Alex? Yeah. Um, this one was a nice surprise for me. I did, you know, I've heard bad things or I guess nothing in a lot of ways about this movie. So, frankly, I was kind of dreading watching it. Uh, I was worried about going back into Abbott and Costello territory in terms of quality. And I was pleasantly surprised here. Uh, we do have like almost a separate film with the early Amazon moments, but I really think that once we get to the the aquarium, I really found those moments pretty interesting, and I was just couldn't wait to see what was going to happen next. And yes, our, I would say our characters here aren't quite as strong, but I still enjoyed Helen, and I even enjoyed Cleet uh, a good bit. And there's just a lot of elements in this film that are a step up for me from Black Lagoon. I I think the horror works much better. I think the intensity is better for me. I think the Mm. pacing is better. And I I think that a lot of... I think a lot of the stakes are handled better for me. Um, And so I think this one... I think it's an upper gamma tier. Uh, it's not quite a Godzilla tier for me. Um, but 
it's definitely up there. And maybe on a rewatch, it might move up. But mm. uh, this was a nice surprise for me. Uh, and I, I can't wait to see what the next one is now. Nice. Yeah. I, I hope the next one goes into that. Just gets campier, honestly. Like, Oh, I, from I, the, I read the episode description. Uh-huh. I think it does. <laughs> I, I, I hope so, honestly. Like, I... I don't know. There was something about the campiness of that 15 minutes that I really enjoyed here. And I hope we get kind of campy in the next one. I think that'd be a whole lot of fun. Because for me, this one doesn't live up to the original. Uh, Not to say that this is a bad film. Um, I I didn't think it was bad by any means. I actually thought some of the ideas presented, as, as I mentioned, were probably done just as well, if not better, than the first film. But I think it, it does so at the expense of, for me, it was interesting you talked about stakes. I, I felt the stakes a lot more in the first film than I did in this one. This one always felt a little safer to me in terms of stakes, um, which it seems to be the opposite of how you felt, which again might just go back to our personal preference and the types of things that we like to see and kind of what scares us to go back to the first question that we ask, which film is scarier? Right. Um, So it it might just be about all like it might just be our own personal. um, Yeah, it might be our own personal uh, fears, which is which is really interesting if we wanted to psychoanalyze ourselves, Alex. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But but overall, uh, I do like this one. Um, It's not as high as last week. I, I really liked Creature of the Black Lagoon. Um, but this is a Gamera tier for me, whereas the last week's was a Godzilla tier. Uh, this one is probably a mid Gamera uh, tier for me. Okay, cool. I, I thought you might be more down on it after we talked uh, initially, no, I, but you're, it seems like the back half kind of saved it for you. Yeah, yeah. There, there's definitely some moments. Uh, it, it was the back half of the film um, that was the best for sure. Um, next week is The Creature Walks Among Us. Um, will we throw a big fuss or will any negative opinions we have be sus? Oh, okay. So it walks among us? I hope yes. it's not exposed to too much. Oh, there's Archer. <clears throat> she, he's trying to rhyme. He's, or maybe he's mine's going to be so bad. Rhymes. No, he's just giving you your rhymes, or he's buying you time, one of the two. He's probably about to drop a bill, stinky poop. Um, But yeah, next one's um, Among Us. I hope he doesn't get any fungus on his gills, because then he'll have to wash them off at the mills. (laughs) Is that where you wash gills? Is that the mills? Well, if from what I've read off of... What did you say? Hang on, I'm getting fed a rye real quick. I was going to say, hopefully he doesn't get any fungus on his tongues. Oh, hopefully he doesn't get any fungus on his tongues. Oh, there we go. <laughs> CC coming in clutch. Yeah, she, she, got, she came in clutch. But, you know, I, I hear that he is able to walk on land in this next movie. So mm. he might have to go to a mill. Ooh, those we shall see. Wheels. Oh, <laughs> As always, thank you for listening to Monsters vs. Men. You can leave us feedback on Revenge of the Creature at nvmpod.com or email us at nvmpod at gmail.com. You can also follow us and message us on Twitter and Instagram at nvm underscore pod. 
Become a bargain base buy at patreon.com forward slash MVMPI and receive weekly bonus content, including special reviews, interviews, and host chats. And if you can't join at this time, a review or a share always helps. I'd like to see a new review on iTunes this week, wouldn't you, Alex? I sure would. Monsters vs. Men is produced by Alex Cornett. Executive producers are Faye Basier, John Freeman, and Michael Herndon. Special thanks to our wives, comma, rock band for PlayStation 3, which formed Cell Block B and ruined Core's life. Louis Loops, Senior Honda, <laughs> Drew the Collector, Instagram Connector, and you, the listener, for listening. Until next time, don't. Forget to test the Gilman for strength before swimming with it. And try to stay alive. Mafia, wake up, wake up. You have created a monster and it will destroy you. would you test intelligence before strength that's my question uh that is the question that they just took lucas's word for it he's like very strong and they're like it'll be we'll be fine (laughs) two men will take him we'll be able to hold him back